It's Thursday, April 11th, and on today's episode, I'm going to tell you three breaking stories that just emerged early this morning. In fact, our team had already recorded and produced a completely different episode for today, but then decided we needed to go in an altogether different direction. Early this morning, a white supremacist was arrested for burning down three churches in Louisiana. The president of Sudan just stepped down after three months of nationwide protest. And 14 United States senators just co-sponsored what I think is one of the most important pieces of legislation that has ever been produced in our lifetime. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. When I hear people say that the United States was founded on the noble principles of freedom and liberty, I immediately know that they're delusional. The founding of this nation was rooted in violence, was rooted in theft and genocide and slavery. And the truth is that without any one of those things, without the violence, without the theft, without the genocide of millions of indigenous people, and without the forced labor of millions of enslaved Africans, the United States could not and would not exist, at least not as we know it today. And from 1492 until this very moment, racism and bigotry and the violent forms of intimidation that come with them have been deeply woven into the fabric of this place. Which brings me to our first story. Break it down. Late last night, a conservative Louisiana sheriff's deputy, Roy Matthews, turned his 21-year-old son, Holden Matthews, in for burning down three black churches there in St. Landry's Parish, which is about an hour west of Baton Rouge. Fires began on March 26 at St. Mary Baptist Church. They were followed by Greater Union Baptist Church on April 2nd and then Mount Pleasant Baptist Church on April 4th, each burning completely to the ground. And what I'm about to say is why we rebuilt and relaunched the North Star. It's why I spend hours and hours in the studio five days a week writing and recording the Breakdowns podcast. Because I just studied every national news outlet's coverage of this case, and they each said some version of, we do not yet know the motive behind these church burnings. Let me help you with that. St. Landry's Parish has white churches all over the place, on every corner, rural, in town, in the town square. They're everywhere. New, old, Methodist churches, Episcopalian churches, Pentecostal churches, Catholic churches. The parish has several predominantly white Baptist churches. But Holden Matthews, who was known to frequent neo-Nazi and white supremacist websites, He didn't burn those churches down. He targeted and set ablaze three black churches and made sure they all burned straight to the ground. And this comes just weeks after a bigoted man targeted Muslims, praying in a mosque in New Zealand, and just a few months after another bigot shot and killed nine Jewish senior citizens at a synagogue in Pittsburgh. And just a few years after another white supremacist targeted and killed the pastor and eight other men and women at a Bible study at a black church in Charleston, South Carolina. 2018 had more documented hate crimes than any year ever measured in generations, and they are continuing to increase this year. 
And here's what I know. Had this man been anything or anybody other than a white man, had he been an immigrant, had he been a refugee, had he been a Muslim, had he been black, the president of the United States would be tweeting about him as we speak. But we've come to understand very, very clearly that the bigotry and violence of white men is not even on the radar of the United States government. And consequently, the overwhelming majority of terrorist attacks in this country come from these men. And it's dangerous. After burning down his first black church, Holden Matthews waited a week, saw all of the press coverage, and then burned down another. Then saw all of that press coverage and waited two more days and burned down another. And what we see, not just in the United States, but all over the world, is that white supremacists feel emboldened and empowered to not just think what they think, but to act on what they think. And one thing we must demand from each and every presidential candidate, and truthfully from every elected official on the local, state, and federal level, is their plan to confront white supremacy head on. We don't just want platitudes. Talk to us about your plan. Talk to us about your budget, your staff, and how you're going to wield your power to confront the very real threat of white supremacy. And we don't just need open forums and conversations on healing. This is domestic terrorism. And we must make it clear to people who want our vote that they have to show us our plans. Which leads me to my next story. Hours ago, the president of Sudan, Omar al-Bashir, stepped down in disgrace after four months of relentless, around-the-clock protest that brought the entire country to its knees. At least 38 protesters, probably more, but at least 38 protesters have been killed by the government, and hundreds of them have been arrested and detained since the protests first began this past December. Now, I'm glad to see this, because Omar al-Bashir has been a brutal dictator for most of the past 30 years. He literally became president because of a military coup of his own in 1989, and he's been a dictator ever since. He's a prime example of why I believe all democracies should put term limits on their presidents. Al-Bashir is wanted for war crimes before the International Criminal Court, and he should not be allowed to simply remain in hiding or exile. While the people helped bring his presidency to an end, Sudan is now in the most fragile period for any nation. And here's where things can go horribly wrong, potentially even getting worse if the right decisions are not made early. Moments ago, the military announced that they are taking over the government. They also announced that they are temporarily suspending the Constitution and that all border crossings are being closed, that all of the airports are being closed down, even that airspace over Sudan is closing down. And while protesters are celebrating the topple of al-Bashir, as they should, what we've seen in other fragile democracies is that what comes next can be extremely problematic. Now, I'm incredibly proud of the protesters there. This is no doubt a victory for them. And it must be noted that women have been at the forefront of forcing these changes in Sudan. But we must watch closely to see what happens next. Several protesters on the ground wrote me this morning to say that the protests are going to continue and that members of the military who've taken over the government, they are also wanted for some of the same war crimes as al-Bashir. 
I'm going to be tracking the story very closely, and I'll keep everybody posted. The Breakdown. Which leads me to our third and final news update of the day. Did you know that every developed nation in the world has universal national health insurance? All of them. Let me just name a few of them for you. Break it down. Australia, Austria, the Bahamas, Bahrain, Belgium, Brunei, Canada, Chile, Cyprus, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hong Kong, Iceland, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Japan, Kuwait, Luxembourg, Mexico, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Singapore, Slovenia, South Korea, Spain, Switzerland, Sweden, the UAE, and the United Kingdom. They all have universal health care. The United States is now the only major developed country in the world that does not offer single-payer universal health care. We are now the only nation in the world with people who simply can't afford health insurance. We're the only nation in the developed world with people filing for bankruptcy over medical bills. That doesn't happen anywhere else but here. We are the only nation in the developed world with healthcare CEOs getting filthy rich off of the industry. Last year alone in the United States, 62 healthcare CEOs made a combined $1.1 billion. And that's $157 million more than what the entire CDC, the Center for Disease Control, spent on chronic disease prevention. Just about 100 years ago in the United States, all 50 states agreed to require public education of each child. And all 50 states agreed to fund it. That's how we now have our public education system. It's how we have libraries. It's how we have roads. And from every major developed nation in the world, it's how we have health care. For three straight years in the United States, and this is despicable, for three straight years in this country, for the first time since World War I, life expectancy has gone down year after year after year. For the first time since World War I. And yesterday, 14 Democrats, led by Bernie Sanders, co-sponsored a brilliant bill called the Medicare for All Act of 2019. In the House, over 100 Democrats, led by Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Seattle, they introduced their bill. And people can aim to scare us as much as they want about this, but this is not a liberal idea. It's not a liberal dream. It is the basic standard for the entire world. Even nations with conservative governments have universal health care. I think all of this is far more historic and important than it gets credit for. While the bills don't currently have enough votes to pass, they clearly have more support and more momentum than they've ever had. And making them a reality would literally be one of the biggest equalizers ever in the American economy. Listen, we currently spend more money per person on health care than any other nation in the world, but we don't even get good results. Now, Obamacare did solve a few problems, but the core problems of health care remain. It's why nearly 40 million people are still uninsured and why tens of millions more have health insurance but can't even afford to use it. We could do so much better. Listen, I've got to run but I'll be tracking with all three of these stories and I'll keep you posted 
on the next episode of The Breakdown. The Break, The Break, break. The, the, the breakdown. breakdown. Of course, thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. We're not just here to change the news, we're here to change the world. If you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here every single weekday, breaking down important news stories and issues. And we'd love for you to subscribe here and share this with your friends and family. Our next goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers, and we know that we can't get there without you. Have you left a review yet? If not, please leave your best review when you get time. Of course, thank you so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. We love and appreciate each of you so very much. Now, if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community, and you can do that at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have our podcast, we have hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for his hard work on this and every other episode. Take care, everybody.